Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. I hope you've had a wonderful new year so far, and I'd like to thank you for joining us again in 2019. Every new year, it's common to go through a process of making resolutions, setting big goals, and generally trying to be all we can be. These aspirations can be great sources of guidance over the year to come, but they're not without their own pitfalls. It's easy for new aspirations and goals to come wrapped in a package of self-recrimination and criticism. It's natural for thoughts like, why is this taking me so long? Or, why does it matter? I'm just going to give up anyway. Or, wait, wasn't this my resolution last year? To roll through our heads. That's why we're starting off our new year with a very special episode dedicated to self-caring. This episode features a wonderful conversation between Dr. Rick Hansen and an internationally recognized clinical psychologist, author, and meditation teacher, Dr. Tara Brock. Tara's teaching blends Western psychology with Eastern spiritual practice, brings mindful attention to our inner life, and pulls us into a full, compassionate engagement with the world. And as a nice bonus, she's a wonderful podcaster as well. During the interview, Rick and Tara explore the importance of self-caring, how we can grow this critical resource inside ourselves, and why it's not selfish to be on your own side. This interview is also a part of Rick's Foundations of Wellbeing online program. As a quick note, the conversation was recorded over the internet rather than in person, so the audio quality may not be what you've come to expect from the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Rick Hansen, and with me now, which I'm very, very happy about, is my friend and teacher, Tara Brock, PhD, who is a clinical psychologist and the author of two absolutely classic books, Radical Acceptance and True Refuge, which, uh, if I have a list of top 10 books in the general territory of practical psychology, helping yourself, deep insight, uh, and so forth, um, these two books would be on my absolute desert island. If you only get 10 books, these are, the, these are on the list of 10 books. Tara uh, lives in the Washington, D.C. area. She's the founder of Insight Meditation Community of Washington, and she teaches meditation and other practices um, worldwide. So, Tara, thank you for being here with us all. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be part of the program. Well, to dive in, the first question I'd like to ask you is a general one. Since this uh, pillar of practice is, in a way, the entry into all of our efforts to cultivate uh, factors of well-being in this program, so for you personally, if I could ask you a personal question, why has it been important for you to cultivate inner strengths, psychological resources, inside yourself? I suspect, like most people, I can intuit this uh, potential to manifest really loving fully, living fully. And so there's just a longing to be all that I can be. And it feels this um, part of waking up is that we can actually be intentional about waking up. So we can actually choose to pay attention to the parts of our being we really want to nourish. So let me ask you, if I could, a question that's a little bit divergent from the kind of material we initially thought about exploring, and then we'll come back maybe to the main line. A question naturally arises, what's the fine line? And so I'm asking you, how do you find this fine line in your own life, in your own practice, 
um, between sort of encouraging and opening to something good to grow versus tipping into kind of forcing it, getting driven around it, comparing yourself around it, and pushing too hard. How do you find that? I call it the Goldilocks place, not too yeah. tall, not too short, the sweet spot. How do you do that? Well, it's a, it's a great question because we easily have something that we want and then we start um, fearing it won't happen, grasping after it, comparing, judging. For me, the trick is to keep coming back to the purest intention I have around it. If I remember what really matters about this, what really matters about, for instance, feeling courageous or confident or kind or whatever it is, then there's a quality of sincerity that um, allows me to move towards it in a way that's without a lot of tension or tightness or grasping. And I use the word sincerity on purpose because there's almost like an innocence. It's not, it doesn't come from a place that's controlling in me. It's just a very pure, this is a natural part of my being I want to unfold. More open-handed. Right. I like the language myself um, of inviting in and mm -hmm. creating sanctuary for things mm -hmm. like that, as well as, um, you know, sometimes a little more muscular direct effort to stay with something and to kind of sure. really help it sink in. But it's all in that range without yeah. tipping into the pitfall, as you said, getting, you know, too pressured internally about it, too driven around it. When the pressure arises, it's because there's fear. Yeah. And that then and, becomes a clue. And, okay. I need to come back to that Goldilocks sweet spot place. I've tipped too and far. It, and it's also a clue that, oh, there's fear. Let's pay attention to the fear. Because there's that means that there's some insecurity. I'm going to fall short. I won't get what I want. I'm, maybe I'm not cut out for this. And so if we bring a kindness and a presence to the fear, then that be because the fear needs attention. Then things relax and then we can go back to cultivating without that kind of tension. This could be a segue, uh, albeit maybe not an immediately obvious one, into yeah. our main topic here, which is the pillar of well-being uh, of self-caring, which for me is absolutely primary and fundamental uh, to all of it. As you know, there's a joke in therapy world, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. And that's <laughs> deeply true, whether it's raising children, that kid has to, that teenager has to want to change for yeah. change to be deep, as well as in many other settings as well. So in terms of this topic, self-caring, and you're talking about opening to the fear, let's say, that's at the root of getting pressured around cultivating wholesome qualities of mind and heart. All right. So the question could then arise. Ugh. Why should I turn into? Why should I turn toward my fear? Why should I open to that painful, unpleasant experience? Why would it be self-caring? Why would it be helpful to me to do this crazy thing? People used to ask me or say to me, "Hey, Rick, feel your feelings." I was like, "Are you insane? My feelings hurt. Why would I want to feel my feelings?" So, what do you say to all this? Well, if we could get away with bypassing them, if we could kind of go another route and not pay attention to them and still have a happy and full life, that would be that would be groovy. And what happens is and maybe this is a this is maybe a phrase is that what we can't embrace with love controls us. So, 
it's like if you had a child crying in another room and you kept on trying to, you know, make thicker insulation between the walls and so on. But it's part, it's part of your house and it's part of your family, this little being. We have to pay attention to what needs attention within us. And so the parts of us that are fearful need our attention. And if we don't pay attention to them and either numb them out by, you know, over-consuming or ignore them or get into obsessive thinking, they're still there. The energy's still there. And it has an impact on our psyche. There's a tension in our, in our system that will keep on exerting pressure on our life. We'll still feel the apprehension underneath. It'll affect everything. So the most direct way to heal is to turn towards what's there. But there's a whole process of how to do that slowly, patiently, with all the resources we can garner to have the healing be effective. Okay. So why is it an expression of self-caring? Why, is, why does it help me or anybody to turn toward their own pain? What happens when we face it? Why is that helpful? Emotions are designed to come and go. It's said that it's 1.5 minutes for an emotion to play itself through your body unless your thoughts keep on generating the material for the emotion. So what happens in a moment of mindfulness is instead of the thoughts that keep us worried and keep us agitated, we actually bring a direct presence to what's there. It gives it the freedom to come, express itself, and move on. So it's a pathway to healing ourselves. It's a pathway to opening ourselves to rest in a larger and more tender space. It's actually we become more whole in the moments that we pay attention to what's here. That's great. I was just also reflecting while listening to you how great it is to talk with someone who's uh, trained uh, intensely as a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, who's also a meditation teacher and someone who's raised a child and been married and lived a real life and also someone who's deeply practiced in her own, in her own being. So that's, that's a nice combination of really bringing all that together there. Thank you. Well, okay. Then let's uh, kind of start focusing increasingly on um, the what and the how of self-caring. So as a way in, I wonder if you could give a personal example of a time or a way in which you've been self-caring or had to de- muster or reach for or develop self-caring in one way or another on your own behalf, um, a time, an example that has been important for you? Well, I'll give you one that I'm just on the spot came up that felt important to share, which was in my 20s. Um, I struggled a lot with overeating and hated myself for it. I really, the fact that I couldn't control my eating, it was really actually late teens, like 18, 19, and 20 is more like when it was. And I remember very clearly getting to the point that, um, that I was at war with myself, and the war was not helping my eating behaviors. And, and there came a point when I recognized, wow, I'm really in pain. I'm really, really struggling. And this sense of it's not my fault. It's like, it doesn't matter how hard I'm trying, it's not working. And there came over me both a a quality of recognizing there's not going to be any healing unless I befriend myself. There's nothing can go in a good direction unless I befriend myself. And in seeing how much pain I was in, something in me got sad for myself. And that was the moment 
it was a radically shifting moment in terms of my relationship with my inner life. I went from being the judge, the aversive judge towards an addictive behavior to this presence that was really compassionate, that could just see, oh, you're struggling. It actually shifted my eating behaviors over the long run because being at war with myself only created more agitation and more of the kind of stress that would have me eat. Whereas I started getting the knack of, oh, okay, this is hard. You're having a hard time. There was more space, and in that friendly space, my behaviors began to very naturally start adapting themselves to a more healthy kind of a pattern. So that was a that was one of those pivotal life experiences where self-compassion started turning around something that was very, very difficult. Wow, that's such a beautiful example. So if I could just to call out that in that sadness for yourself, you could probably call that certainly in the territory of self-compassion. You know, yeah. there's there's a feeling for your your pain, there's a wish that you you didn't suffer it. And with that there's a kind of empathic sadness. And yes. we'll get to this a little bit more later, but in that's such a good example that compassion can sometimes have a bittersweet quality. The sadness, for example, can feel subtly unpleasant, and yet if we open to it, we don't need to fear it. We don't need to fear the softening of the heart that comes with compassion. It's okay. We can write that out, and it will, as well as being deeply meaningful, uh, very often it leads to good things, as clearly it did in your own case. Yeah. Um, Yeah, beautifully put. Yeah. Well, then, the other thing I want to call out, I've never thought of this before, but I think it's so interesting that you stepped away from what was masquerading as self-caring, which is to say beating yourself up, bringing that kind of harsh, self-critical. I think for many people it has a kind of scolding, scorning intensity. I think of fireballs coming out of the sky. Anyway, as you know, in Buddhist psychology, there's the notion of near enemies, of things that are factors in the mind, psychological factors or forces that masquerade as something good, but are actually not. And I think that's very interesting to apply that notion now to the near enemies of self-caring, uh, like self-criticism. And I wonder if you could speak to that and kind of waking up from the entanglements of those deceptive masquerades, yeah. imposters for self-caring, and kind of come out of them into a more genuine refuge and true self-caring. Well, I find that we can look at the way we relate to ourselves and and discover the parallel from how our parents treated us. And our parents, out of concern, out of fear for how well we'd emerge as beings, ended up being very critical, many of them. And so we took on criticism, self-criticism, as a way of trying to strong-arm ourselves into being the person that we thought we should be. And And... Pretty much most of us received a message in some way that to be loved and to be approved of, we needed to be different than we were. So you're using the term, uh, it's kind of masquerading out of care. Out of care for ourselves, we try to make ourselves different. It seemed that way. Now, it's a strategy. It just happens to be a strategy that ends up bringing a lot of suffering. I I call it a false refuge. We take a kind of false refuge in, in judgment and in, um, in, in being at war with ourselves in order to be something different. 
And it's only when, and there's, there's some wisdom in each of us that starts catching on to the fact that these patterns just aren't working. The strategy's not delivering. It gives enough of a temporary fix that we stay hooked. But gradually as we mature, we start getting, oh, the judgment's not working, the eating is not really helping me feel better, or whatever the strategy is. My workaholism isn't really ending up making me feel like a better person. All my striving to achieving, I still don't feel at home with myself. Then we start questioning in a really good way. And we start saying, okay, those were masquerading for self-care. What would it really mean in this life to be... uh, offering ourselves the kind of care, the kind of messages, the kind of guidance that would bring some happiness. So it's, it's a critical shift. Can you, um, from your own practice and working with others as well, perhaps name some of the somatic markers? That's a term that's about like an inner signal, a felt sense, yeah. a signal. Like how can a person feel or know the difference between, we'll call it authentic, wholesome, self-caring, and this sort of imposter self-caring, this near enemy, if you will? For me, it's uh, very, very clear that when I am um, offering what seems like self-care, but but it's coming from a place of fear and a place of of self-doubt, there is a squeeze and a tension. And often it shows itself in the throat, the chest, and the belly because there's a nexus of nerves there that that our um, emotions end up most expressing through. But it could be in other parts of our body too. But there's some form of unpleasant tension or tightness. It's confining. Whereas in the moments of genuine self-care, there is always a sense of opening and tenderness. Now, tenderness has different felt sense for different people, but there's some quality of um, resonance, of of, um, presence with that one can feel, and there's a sense often of warmth and a sense of um, expansiveness. And I can say for myself, there's a shift in identity. And it's something that this isn't somatic language, but it's important language Because what happens in a moment of self-care is rather than being um, caught in the waves of what's going on and reacting to ourselves, we actually open and become more like an ocean or presence that's relating to the waves. Uh, There's a quality of tender presence that becomes a more familiar sense of who we are. I'm letting that land right here. And just to say back to you, you're talking about self-caring. In addition to other benefits, let's say some quite practical, like, for example, helping a person move out of issues around eating, and we'll we'll be working through other examples too, or moving through other examples, but you're talking about self-caring as a kind of opening into something profound, something deeper and vaster. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I have watched countless people that that in the part of their life where they begin to regard themselves with care, that is the um, juncture where profound transformation takes place. And there's really a shift from a much more limited sense of who they are. Uh, There's a 
it before it there's a narrative of a self that's usually unworthy or needs to do more to be okay and so on and once there's self-care that very act of relating to ourselves with kindness actually opens us up to a larger sense of who we are so there's more of a sense the wholeness of the psyche altogether Wholeness is, is, is one of the best words for it. We start having access to all our other resources, too. So it, open, it opens us up to a lot more. What start, we start by offering care inside. We become more open. We have access to a lot more spontaneity, a lot more of our natural intelligence, a sense of strength, a sense of confidence. So I really look at it as a portal to all of the qualities we most cherish. Uh, Rabbi Hillel's line a long time ago, you know, if you're not for yourself, who will be? And if not now, when? Right? It's uh, so true. And, and, you know, the most important truths are the ones that we forget. And if we don't love ourselves, we can't really love life. And we really can't because what is this self but the aliveness that's right here? So the very entry to being in love with life, which is really another way of saying being happy, being at home is by learning to really regard the life that's right here, this body, these emotions, this being with tenderness. There's a, one of my teachers says, you know, all I ask of you is this, it's just to make love of yourself perfect. Make love of yourself perfect. And he's not like saying perfect as in, here's another thing that you then have to fall short of, don't do it imperfectly. He means really dedicate yourself. Yeah. If you If you come out with a deepened degree of commitment to loving the life that's right here, everything else unfolds from that. So how can a person do these, this process of self-caring that you're incredibly articulate about and so many levels of articulateness, how can a person do that without getting vain, narcissistic, self-important, me, 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 etc.? Those things that you're naming vanity, narcissism, selfishness, are, are fixations on self. And if we're talking about how to relate to oneself differently, it's not about fixating on oneself or inflating oneself. It's about tenderness towards, and that's a very different experience. Again, here's the, you asked this before, and it was a really good question, is how do you know if in the way you're relating to yourself, you start feeling a sense of fear, tension, or grasping. If there's tightness, that means it's not authentic self-care. It's in some way been hijacked. Mm -hmm. And then we just become mindful of what's going on. You know, you can always find your way back home if you just say, okay, so what's happening? Oh, feeling insecure. And so it's not really self-care. It's really grasping and self-inflation, you know, that kind of thing. I think when people have a deficit of self-caring, this was certainly true for me, especially when I was younger, because you have a deficit of self-caring, often because there was a deficit of other caring, you know, people, yeah. family, peers, kids, what have you. So when you have this deficit of self-caring, you tend to get very self-oriented because you're yeah. hungry and you yeah. look for different ways to fill that hole inside or you get self-referential in terms of denying your needs for that kind of other caring as well as healthy self-caring. So paradoxically, as people internalize healthy narcissistic supplies and they develop in their own self-caring, they actually, in my observation, and I think research supports it as well, become more benevolent, more right. pro-social. 
less self-interested and more generous toward other people. Yeah. I mean, our deepest need is to feel loved. And so when that love comes at us, we no longer have to use the false refuges, the other kind of ways that masquerade for self-care. Including that warmth, that lovingness that's, as it were, self-generated and self-directed, but then once it's there, it's love is love, and then it gets yeah. internalized. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The trick is to recognize that it's often very hard for us to recognize our needs and relate to them in a wholesome way. And again, if our parents weren't attuned, let's say our parent didn't notice we were uncomfortable, or our parent maybe noticed, but it was it was like a hassle. And so there was a sense of responsive irritability, or let's say there was judgment, you know, we end up relating to our own needs with that same impatience or judgment or ignoring or neglect. So part of the beginning of cultivating self-care is to begin to notice those patterns. And we start, even if we can't offer self-care, because sometimes we're blocked and the blocks are, I don't deserve it. You know, feeling I'm, I'm such a bad person, I don't deserve it, or other people have it worse. You know, we have reasons not to offer it. But we can have an intention, and that's the, that'll open the door so that even if you can't really fully in an embodied way say, I care, you can know that some part of you wants to be able to care. Even that, that even the beginning of the intention towards self-care, a kind of prayer aspiration to be able to offer self-care will begin to open the door. And I, I say that on purpose because so many of us have such a hard time offering kindness to our own being. Right. Um, you know, other people have various attitudes or stances toward our needs, our longings, our hurts, our wounds. And we then internalize those attitudes yeah. toward us and then that becomes our own attitude toward ourselves and a exactly. process that's as you well know as a psychologist a very natural one but one that creates a ton of suffering and harm um, you use the key word there needs and this is an opportunity as people engage this consideration of self-caring to really be open to and face squarely and see clearly one's own needs and the ground level in order to face needs is we have to be able to pause and listen inward. Uh, The beginning of everything is some willingness just to stop in our tumbling into the future. We're always on our way somewhere. And and pay attention, ask that question, what's happening inside me right now? I mean, Rumi, I said it so beautifully, he says, do you make regular visits to yourself? So So we need to be able to pay attention. I often think of, you know, what... Or if you're like an infant, what are the most important things to you? And most of us would in some way say, well, it's to be seen, you know, that somebody gets me, and to be loved. And so in any moment that we can pause and, and pay attention and see what's going on and offer kindness, in those moments we're really nourishing our deepest level of needs. Two of the three key aspects of self-caring are the seeing of what's really true with yeah. a warm-heartedness, a caring, yeah. a loving, a compassion. I think the third also is implicit in something you said earlier. Often it means taking action towards self-caring, like whether it's eating less or speaking up more, looking for a different job. Now, so, I'm glad you're naming that because I, my sense is the seeing and the caring is the ground of compassionate action. But compassion has... 
uh, intrinsically as part of it, an urge towards helping, an urge towards um, taking care of the needs. So action. naming the action is really important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, empathy you feel with, and you have to have that for compassion, but full compassion is when you feel with, and there's that lighting up at the part of the brain that's urging you, oh, I care, I want to relieve the suffering. Including your own suffering. Absolutely. It's inclusive of life, and life includes life inside us and around us. Now, when it gets torqued, and rather than that simple resonance with, I care, I want to respond, there's a fear like, I can't handle being with this any longer, I want to make it go away, then it shifts from compassion to controlling to, it could be compassion towards a narcissistic fixation, but it shifts to one of the more, the less wholesome expressions of um, being with ourselves or each other. Right. But when it's free of that, when compassion is in its fullness, there's a wisdom that cares, that wants to act, but doesn't do it out of fear or grasping. It does it out of pure care. It's so interesting that the common sort of soft thought in the back of the mind that's used around compassion is, may you not suffer. Mm-hmm. And that you could be oneself. May there not mm-hmm. be suffering. Mm-hmm. While simultaneously absolutely no resistance to the suffering that's there. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. really interesting? It's a twofer. It, you have that intention exactly without right. resisting what the intention is directed toward, the suffering. Yeah. It's almost like you don't have to have. You don't have to have it be a certain way. There's just a caring. There's an accepting, yeah. radical yeah. accepting, the title radical of your accepting. first phenomenal book. Yeah. Um, Would you be willing to take a few minutes here, just a few minutes, to do a little practice with us, maybe related to your own way of kind of uh, opening to self-compassion and and walking through it? Uh, I wondered if you'd be willing to do that. You didn't know I was going to ask you this question, so you're a little on the spot. but I'd love it. It's one of my favorite things. And I find there's everyone I know can benefit from um, a few moments of self-compassion. And I can say that at any moment during the day that you pause and offer some gesture of kindness to yourself, and it could be not not in the form of compassion, it could be that you see that you're feeling happy and the kindness is, oh, I'm so happy for this happiness, you know? It, but it's some gesture of goodwill towards yourself. In those moments, your biochemistry shifts, your worldview opens, and you are resting more in the ocean that holds the waves. You're, you've become more whole again. So even 15-second gesture of kindness. All right, so the invitation uh, for those of you that are here is just to close your eyes because it helps to deepen attention inward. I'll do it with close you. Close your eyes. Please do. Yeah, so closing your eyes and take a pause for a moment. And let your awareness scan through your body. And notice if there's some areas of habitual tightness or tension. And let this be an opportunity to just soften a little. You might relax a little in the shoulders. You might soften your hands. Just feel them from the inside. Feel the aliveness there. Loosen the belly. Soften the belly. Take a few full breaths now. Let's inhale and fill the chest and the lungs. Inhaling fully. 
And a slow out breath, slow enough to feel the sensations of letting go. That's right. And inhale again, filling the chest. Extended in breath. And again, a slow out breath so that as you feel the release, just feel yourself letting go, letting go. Letting the breath now resume its natural rhythm and just notice the quality of presence that's here. Feel your body sitting here, the breath moving through you, the inflow, the outflow. And in this presence you can scan a bit and just sense your life and sense if there's something that's difficult for you right now, something that's really challenging, that perhaps brings up oh emotions like fear or hurt, emotion like sadness, grief, or something that's difficult. And as you bring to mind a situation that triggers these emotions, perhaps a place where you feel really stuck, it might be in a relationship, it might be at work, something to do with your health. And as you, as you sense the situation, as if you could with a kind of camera, go close in, focus in on right, the situation that most generates the fear, or the hurt, the anger. If there's another person involved, you might sense the look in their eyes and what's being said. If it's more the setting, notice where you are. But most important, let yourself get in touch with what comes up in your body and in your heart. What, what the vulnerability feels like, the fear, the hurt, the anger. So it's a felt sense, your throat, your chest, your belly. You might notice in the background that there's something you're believing about yourself or life that's fueling this. Perhaps it's that you're failing in some way or that others don't really care, that you'll never get what you want, that something dangerous is going to be around the corner. And if there's a background belief, then just come back to your body and sense, how's your body really experiencing this? Maybe you can even make your face be an expression of the discomfort, the pain, the emotion. Sometimes if the face expresses it, you can feel it more in your body. And you might sense as you feel it, what's the need here? What is it you most need? What is it you're most wanting? What's that place that feels most vulnerable, hurting, afraid? What does it most want or need? How does it want you to be with it? Just listen now. Just feel where that, where the pain is or the hurt. You might sense how long it's been there and just sense what's it really wanting. And you might experiment right now. Just put your, put your hand on your heart and just sense that you can, with your hand on your heart, you can vary the pressure. So just let it be tender, a tender touch. And sense 
that the wisest, kindest part of you can just offer a presence, a care to the most upset part of you, to the place in you that's feeling vulnerable, afraid, hurt. There may even be a message that through your hand you can offer your own heart. I sometimes say to myself, it's okay, sweetheart. And others might say, there's one healer that says, I'm sorry, and I love you. Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh says, darling, I care about the suffering. So is there a message that would bring some comfort that might be directed towards the place of need And as you offer a message and offer care, just sense your own experience of your being. You might notice if there's a sense of expansiveness, of tenderness. You might sense the possibility of really holding the life that's within with care. Just the way an ocean, the waves on the surface held by the ocean, part of the ocean. It's okay. If you trust you're the ocean, you're not afraid of the waves. And as you feel ready to relax the hand and just sense the possibility when challenging emotions come up of relating to them from that place of tenderness, from the deep listening, from the care, and responding in whatever way feels most natural in the moment. Okay, opening your eyes, coming back. Well, I hope that you healed whatever (laughs) wounds you were paying attention to. (laughs) And thank you for the the possibility of doing this with with you and those that are listening, because it's such a a precious practice. It really is. Yeah. And so much in that, uh, and uh, including just underlining the importance of practice. You're about practice. And right here we had a, a taste of practice. And yeah. you get a sense of how powerful it is. Well, the good news is we can um, retrain ourselves. I mean, our habit is usually to be pretty quickly down on ourselves. And we can retrain that. And life becomes so much happier yeah. when, we, uh, when our response to ourselves is benevolent. Well, last question. Again, if you're willing to be personal. What's something you're growing yourself these days in particular, using the metaphor of the garden of the mind-brain, what's a particular flower that you're, or fruit tree even, that you're pretty zeroed in on and are trying to uh, protect and plant and fertilize and nourish inside your own mind-brain system? What inner strength, psychological resource, etc., are you particularly focused on these days? I'd maybe just to say that Thoreau has a wonderful line, and it goes like this. He says, the miracle is to look through another's eyes, if only for a moment. And so it takes some commitment. It takes an intentionality to begin to ask, well, what's life like for you? I mean, what's, what's it like being Rick right now? What's it like looking through those eyes? And what might you be feeling with your heart right now? And so that we extend our perceptual field very on purpose to sense how it is for another. That's great. 
I want to thank you, Tara, for taking this time with us and um, encourage people again to get both of your books. They're absolute foundational classics, Radical Acceptance and True Refuge. And I thank you again for doing this. You're completely welcome. And all blessings on the launching of this. I know it's going to be rich for everyone that partakes. So thank you. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Once again, the interview was taken from Dr. Hansen's online Foundations of Wellbeing program. The Foundations program is an online, year-long course that teaches us how to develop the key inner strengths that lead to a good life. If that sounds interesting to you, we've put a link to the program into the description of the podcast. Registration is currently open, and we'd like to extend a special offer to listeners of the podcast. If you enter the code BEINGWELL10, At checkout, you can receive an additional 10% off the purchase price. I hope you'll join us again next week when we'll be back with a new episode. Until then, thanks for listening. 